Welcome to What If So What, the podcast where we ask what's possible with digital and figure out how to make it real in your business. I'm Jim Hertzfeld. And I'm Kim Chopek. We're part of Proficient's digital strategy team, and today we'll ask what if, so what, and most importantly, now what? We started out season three ready to dive into the topic of innovation, demystify it by trying to break down what it is, what it's not, and how to start applying it in an organization using various frameworks and models. I think at the time, even though I acknowledged it's a trigger word for me, we felt like just applying some operational definitions would make it easier to action on. We even titled our season three opener, What If Innovation Was Easy? After talking with our guests this season, turns out innovation is easy, in fact, a lot easier than we made it, which may make innovation, in fact, way more difficult for some organizations than it needs to be. So Jim, did we just land on a catch-22, or is there a way to really drive innovation in digital today? Great question, Kim, and I think this was a really revealing, sort of surprising uh, season or story arc for us. Um, it really took some processing for me to to relate how innovation is easy because it's been sort of mystified and portrayed as one of the most challenging things, one of the most difficult things. It is a trigger word. I think it's, you know, it's almost synonymous with digital and with technology. And so, you know, I'm glad we're taking the time to kind of break this down. You know, is there a catch-22, I suppose? A lot of organizations and, of course, this whole industry is built around making things complicated, you know, unnecessarily because- Yep. You know, where there's mystery, there's margin. But I, I think the bottom line for me, and it was just clarified or ver- verified again, you know, the bottom line for innovation is the bottom line. And, you know, why, why does it even matter? And I think, you know, what in, in this very special episode, in our recap episode, <laughs> you know, I think that's really what we're going to share today is, you know, we, we really pulled out why the basics matter to the bottom line, why the bottom line matters to innovation. You know, and I go back to something like uh, personalization and, and remember a great, great analogy around personalization as an innovation sort of revealed that it really is about getting back to basics. Like technology is really a way to simulate the basics. So if you think about back in the day and the old, you know, a corner, a corner grocer or a butcher and they know your name and they know what you like and ask how your kids are doing, that's a very personalized experience. Like, that's really what we're trying to get back to with personalization. So we have to fake it. We have to pretend that we know you. We can't know thousands of customers, but we still want to give you that basic experience, you know, that, that, that humanized personal experience. So I think it's a great revelation. What do you think, Kim? How do we turn this into a recap? You know, we had such great guests and season three was really a banner season for our guests who were both very high profile and at the same time, heads down, not afraid to get their hands dirty to drive innovation in their companies. And they all had a kind of a different spin on how they approached innovation. But I think overall, each one of them illustrated how the fundamentals need to be flawless to drive that innovation. So rather than hear more from us, because we talk a lot in our uh, episodes, Mm -hmm. we want to revisit some comments on innovation. I think that really helped crystallize this getting back to basics approach, right? So uh, Jim, who was your first standout? Well, standout guest in a lot of ways was Mark Cuban. We're so excited to have to have him on the show this season. And, you know, right away, you know, the idea of getting your hands dirty. I mean, this guy's he's a he's a business person, he's an entrepreneur. I learned he's he was he started out coding, which is great. Yeah. Love to hear that. 
you know, so I think he just sort of epitomizes a lot of the things that, that you said about not being afraid to get their hands dirty and, and kind of get down into the weeds a little bit or more than a little bit in some cases. So, you know, I think, again, innovation is about sort of converting and, and activating it and making it real. Again, innovation, I think demystifying innovation and creativity is important because creativity is sort of about thinking about something new, but innovation is doing something. And if you're going to do something, it's going to take your time. It's going to probably take money. And at that, right away, you got to be thinking about, is it worth it? Is there cash flow mm-hmm. at the end of it? Is there a customer at the end of it? So I think, you know, this clip from Mark, I think, is just a great sort of the, the basic of all basics and just getting down to the real business outcome. So let's take a listen to Mark again. My first company was a company called Microsolutions when I was in my 20s. And we did local area network systems integration. I wrote software and we were one of the largest in the country at what we did. And we were profitable every single month of our existence. And I was proud of that. And so when we started AudioNet, which turned into Broadcast.com, it was my money that was we initially invested. And so I looked at profitability as the first goal. And it's funny, you know, looking back at the things that I thought could generate cash flow for us, you know, I thought, okay, well, what if we went to Amazon and we were like the Muzak while people browse for books on Amazon, you know, where you can listen to reviews and music or whatever. And obviously, it evolved very, very quickly as we figured out what people wanted to listen to, where, when, and why. But it was always about the business opportunity. And that, that's really the way I look at things. And that's left me at odds a lot of times, honestly, with people in Silicon Valley who, you know, I don't like to invest or start businesses where you have to raise hundreds of millions of dollars to do tens of millions of dollars in business and hope somebody buys you. You've got to figure out what business you're in, right? And what your product is and why people will buy it. And sometimes it doesn't turn out to be exactly what you thought it would be when you started a business. As it grows, as it becomes more established, hopefully, you know, sometimes you have to listen, but sometimes you have to not listen, right? You have to know where you want to take it because the customer's job is not to tell you where your product should go. Our customer's job is to do what's best for their business while you try to help them do even more and and help them become even a better business. So Kim, uh, give us another basic. Who else are we here from? Yeah, I really liked our conversation with Alan Hart um, for a couple of reasons. He talked about the brief and we talked about the death of the brief. You know, we talked a lot about how his explicit position of getting back to basics is what fuels innovation today. One great example is that this concept of the brief that we really need to resurrect as a basic input to any digital initiative. What are the big goals and objectives here? What are we trying to do? Who are we trying to talk to? That is missing today. And I think all of us as digital professionals need to advocate for its return. And that really led to a deeper conversation around generalists versus specialists. And Alan really changed my mind as far as how I think about resourcing modern marketing operations to really allow for generalists to handle that big picture And for example, which channels are best used and specialists to really optimize for their particular channels. I think it really cleared up in my mind how to really leverage marketing professionals today for what they're best at. So let's let's listen to what Alan had to say about that. I think just on the generalist versus specialist, I think you need both. But I think we do need to flip the orientation. What I mean by that is I think Right now, our pendulum has shifted pretty hard to specialization, and I think we need to flip it back. I think there's still space for both, but I think generalists you know, really need to f- be focused on 
proven campaigns. And we know that campaigns themselves, when there's multiple tactics involved, they outperform a singular tactic, right? That's been proven by academic research, by practical research and and application. And so we need generalists, I think, driving the marketing and specialists really optimizing their specialties, whether that's SEO or SEM or social channels or any other related specialty. They need to be the experts within that channel, but I think we need generalists driving the campaign development, if you will. So I love that clip because it really speaks to the basics of the basics and and really leveraging, in some cases, the team you already have. And Jim, talking about basics, we also heard a lot about doing more with what you already have, right? Right. And um, this theme touched on so many things for me because, again, I think we see this with a lot of clients and a lot of organizations. So my, my clip is from Neil Hoying from, from Google, but let me, let me set it up a little bit because, you know, this idea of working with what you have reminds me of my favorite comedian, George Carlin. And he has this great line where he said, a house is just a place to put your stuff while you go out and get more stuff. I'd love to do a George Carlin impersonation, but I can't, but the, it's, it's kind of funny and it's ironic. And if you know George Carlin, it makes, you know, he just makes, you know, the, the senseless, ob- obvious and invisible. So, um, <laughs> <Yes>. <clears throat> sometimes, but you know, the theme about what you have today is, is, is critical to me because I see a lot of organizations who kind of run into two things when they think about, you know, not just innovation, but any kind of change. And I see a lot of roadmaps that are paralyzed. They want to make a move. They want to make a change. They want to build a roadmap, but they want to have all the information. They want to have all of the evidence. They want to have, you know, all of the detail to be able to predict the future. And it can be paralyzing and it, it prevents you from taking any action. And, right. you know, it's sort of like the perfect is the enemy of the good. We see that a lot of times, uh, yes. uh, you know, analysis paralysis, a lot of ways to look at it. But we also see a lot of big spend that are underutilized, a lot of big implementations that are underutilized. You know, they aren't taking advantage of, we see you know, big platforms and, and initiatives and moves that just, you know, we, and it's either they not using what they have or they find out that, well, I only needed 20% of what I built anyway. And so uh, we see that all the time. And I think Neil makes a great point about data. So let's, let's take a listen. Large companies have built entire teams, data science teams, around just capturing and mining more of this data. They haven't invested enough in actually applying this data to drive value to their business. So generally, when I look at companies and they present these elaborate plans for how they're going to digitally transform their customer data, you almost have to walk them back a step to say, no, you have enough as is. It's just you have to change the objective that you're tracking. So Kim, shifting gears a little bit, you know, you and I have had a lot of client conversations lately about employee experience. So uh, this is a this is a great episode, and I know you've got a great insight around it. Yes, we focus a lot on driving great digital customer experiences, but what we rediscovered, especially now in our current historical context, is that you can't have good customer experience without having great employee experience. The better the employee experience, likely the better customer experience. This came up a few different ways, ranging from discussions around empowering teams closest to customers to reimagining, quote unquote, employee experience budgeting cycles to correspond to customer experience investments. Talking with Chris Eckelmeyer from the EX Group at Microsoft, a few things stood out. First of all, from an employee's perspective, make it about me, don't make it about the technology. Technology should always be the enabler of the message, not the message itself. 
And we'll hear a little bit more about that from Chris in a second. But obviously, a lot of big rollouts to enable employees to do their jobs. But the rollout is focused on the technology capabilities and not necessarily how it's going to help you do your job better. Uh, and I think that's that's a big piece that's been missing to date. And then really that second standout is employee experience is foundational to customer experience. An investment in employee experience is an investment in customer experience. And far too few organizations are seeing that cycle. So let's hear what Chris had to say about this. Think about how busy we all are with the pandemic. That We've seen like sort of rise in lots of 30-minute meetings, but they tend to be bigger. How many 30-minute check-ins do you have compared to what you had two years ago? I, I think it's doubled for me because they've replaced like five-minute hallway conversations or 10-minute hallway conversations. When we work with companies and, and even internally here at Microsoft, when we work at trying to, to fix that, you know, the easiest thing is like, think about uh, four 30-minute breaks in your day where you've got two hours versus having a you know, one two-hour break in your day. Four 30-minute breaks is you're pretty much going to be checking email and probably about to break and get coffee. A two-hour break, I'm going to put my head down and think about things and solve problems. And I actually didn't book focus time prior to the pandemic. I didn't use it a whole lot. I just sort of, when I had free time, I would use that. So I think these tools that we have now to help you block focus time has helped me as a seller and, and all of the Microsoft sellers really embrace it. And I'm seeing it at other customers where little things like that help us to be much more customer focused. So when we measure things like how much time are you spending as a, as a person with customers, we actually can see more time spent with them now and less time in some of the internal talking about the business versus doing the business stuff. So just simple things like the habit of blocking focus time can make you more customer focused. So those were some great clips. We had such a great roster of guests this season, but we still need to answer the now what. So Jim, after all of season three, what's your big now what? Yeah, that's a that's a big question, Kim. Um, I mean, there's so much happening here, and I just uh, I, you know, I want to pay more play more clips, and I want more responses because one of the things I love about this is is this reflection, you know. And I think reflecting on this this whole season and rethinking innovation and, and rethinking the basics. I'm excited and a little disappointed at the same time because what I was excited about was coming out with all kinds of new innovations. I am guilty of being enamored by technology. I was wanted us <laughs> to be flying out of the pandemic and the lock with AI and machine learning. And we're going to pick up, you know, where we left off with virtual anything, you know, and automation and robotics and the whole thing. And the last couple of years have taught us a lot of things about the basics, but like, let's just take supply chain, for example. Let's take basic communications and, and collaboration and employee experience. But I think above all, when I think about where innovation is going to focus, it's going to be back to agility. And I think given more global events, I think that we're living through, is sort of the option to change your mind. And this is something I've heard a lot from clients just Really this year just uh, is the ramp up now is, <clears throat> I believe, the innovations are going to be smaller. They're going to be more incremental. Mm -hmm. And it's mm -hmm. about creating agility in the business, right? So how do I couple and in, in, in decouple and, and try something new and change our mind? That's, that's, I think, the option to change your mind. 
However it's done, as long as it's providing value, I think that's where I believe at a macro level, a lot of the innovations are going to be focused at least in the next year or two. You know, again, aside from the basics, something that we'll be looking for. I agree. And I think it's funny that you mentioned, why didn't we fly out of the pandemic with AI everything? Because my theory is it's back to employee experience. We could barely give our teams the tools they needed to do their jobs (laughs) in a virtual world, let alone, you know, layer on actual machine learning, AI capabilities, you know, everything else that was trending before the pandemic. So my biggest now what from this season really has to do with that employee experience. I'm predicting that 2022 is the year of the employee in digital innovation. It's the most fundamental piece of operating a business. An organization needs to get it right today to unleash the potential of CX returns, to unleash the potential of those incremental innovations that you're talking about. And this covers everything from hybrid work models, digital tools to support these new work models, DEI initiatives, just across the board. If you want to really drive innovation, start with your, your teams. They know what needs to be done. Right. I want to really kind of stress, I think we heard that from our Yes, certainly. And we're seeing that in our day to day. We need to focus on some of these employee experience basics to a combat the great resignation and really use it to fuel the upside of CX innovation that we did see during the pandemic. I do think we saw some some pretty cool innovations that wouldn't have happened without the pandemic being the catalyst. So two questions to support this basic that you can ask today. Do you know what employee experience means in your organization? And do you understand the EX to CX thread? That's a great revelation, Kim, because I do, I, I agree with you. I think I love the CEX coming back into it. Maybe that's, that's just an innovation unto itself, but <laughs> it's funny. I, the first thing I thought of is people will look at my calendar and I'm just in 30 minute meeting after 30 minute meeting. And they ask me, when does the work get done? I'm like, yeah, when does the work get done? What, I mean, this exactly. is, yeah, the, the, and I think people are coming to that realization that that innovation needs to happen. So again, another topic I wish we had. You know, another hour to talk about. I think we bring it all together though, Kim. And again, the overarching themes of this show is now what? What can I do today? Right. I actually want to throw in, if I can sneak in one more clip. I think, uh, again, Neil Hoyne captured something. It was so great. And it's a theme that we talk about all the time. And it's this that, you know, a vision is great. You know, a strategy is great, but vision without execution is a total daydream, right? It doesn't exist without actually execution. But if you're executing without that vision, it's a nightmare. Like, where are we going? Why are we doing it? But eventually you got to get moving. And so I'm going to, I'm going to leave us with this clip from Neil about how everyone should be thinking about what they're doing right now. And so when I look at the role of all these tools and techniques, I say that they're great, but they're nothing unless you can actually apply it. And one of the hardest lessons for companies to learn when it comes to their data is one is that they likely have a lot of great insights already with their people, with their analysts that are just having difficulty being bubbled up in their organization. And the second thing is that the target for improvement should never be a 6, 12, 18-month project. If you want to have those visions, by all means, have them. But tell me what you're going to do this week. And that's an interesting question to confront executives with because it seems almost trended. Like, what, what do you mean? What am I doing this week? So once again, I want to I want to thank Neil and all of our guests. I I love that advice that Neil gave us, just breaking out to the basics in virtually everything he shared with us. So I think with that, that kind of wraps up season three. Again, in this show, our seasons are kind of interesting for us. They're really more around story arcs. We've taken these white noise 
words like digital and strategy and innovation. Kim, I think you called it a trigger word. Yeah. Um, yeah, you might want to see somebody about that one. Um, <laughs> so, but yeah, they are, they are trigger words for us, right? Because they invoke a lot of interpretations and we really want to bring the value forward. So mm-hmm. we also want to know what else is there. So you've heard about digital, you've heard about strategy, you've heard about innovation. We want to hear from the audience. What is a white noise word or a trigger word that, <laughs> or even a topic that, that you want us to break down? We're going to share a link in the show notes. Check it out and give us some feedback on a topic or a white noise word that you'd like to hear us talk about and address in season four. So Kim, thanks again for a great season or story arc and exploring this topic with some great guests. Yep. Thanks, Jim. And thanks to all of our guests again. Thanks to our listeners. We're really looking forward to hearing from you on what you want to hear about in the upcoming seasons. Please continue to subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite platform and keep asking what if, so what, and now more than ever, now what? You've been listening to What If, So What, the digital strategy podcast from Proficient with Jim Hertzfeld and Kim Chopek. We want to thank our Proficient colleague, J.D. Norman, for our music today. Subscribe to the podcast and don't miss a single episode. You can find this season along with show notes at Proficient.com. Thanks for listening.